Well, hello, my name is Kenny Dean. I'm one of the pastors at The Bridge, and I want to say thank you again for joining us online. We are so grateful each and every week that you're with us, and maybe you're brand new. I am so glad that you are giving us just a few moments of your time. And uh, if you are new, just to let you know, we are in the middle of a series that we're going through a small book of the Bible called Colossians. There are only four chapters of this book of the Bible. And just to kind of give you a little bit of background, a guy by the name of Paul, his name used to be Saul. And before he met Jesus, uh, he actually hated Christians, tried to stamp out Christianity. He helped kill Christians. And so if you're thinking, I don't like Christians either, you and Paul had something in common at one time, but he met Jesus. And then his name was changed from Saul to Paul. And then joining the Jesus movement, he had a heart and a call from God to let the entire world know about how amazing Jesus really is. And so we've covered the first chapter of Colossians. And in chapter one, it's all about Jesus. <laughs> it, it is all about Jesus. It is about no one else, about nothing else except Jesus. We turn the page to chapter two. Spoiler alert. It's still about Jesus, like the whole chapter is about Jesus. But he does talk about Jesus in a different way and gives us some cautions in our spiritual journeys that I think is going to be helpful for us today. And I'm really, really excited about how we're going to end today's study. And uh, so, of course, we've called the series Anchored, as you can see. And I love visuals. And so I love this anchor. And here's the thing I would say to all of us. Everyone is anchored to something or someone. Uh, we don't get a choice of what we're going to anchor our life to. Uh, we are made to anchor our life to Jesus, but we get the choice if we want it to be him or not. And how, how do you know what your life is anchored to? Well, three questions you could ask. Uh, what is my source? What is my source for joy? What is my source for comfort? What is my source for life itself? Uh, where do I find security? When times hit, when storms come my way, when the waves roll in, where do I go or what do I look for to calm me down so I can feel secure in life? And then the last question is, where do I find significance? Like, like, I have meaning and purpose with this thing, with this someone, with this activity. And again, we don't get the choice of if we're going to have an anchor, we get the choice of what will our anchor be in life to give us a, a sense of source of life and significance and security. And what we said in Colossians and what we believe as a church is that the best anchor you could have for your life is Jesus. Real simple. Uh, a man who lived 2,000 years ago. But as we learned last week, Jesus actually existed from the beginning of time itself. There's never been a time when he hasn't existed. And along the way, he just invites people to anchor their world to him because he is the source of life. He is the, the, the security that we all need deep within our soul. And he really is the significance of giving our life meaning and purpose because we were made, as we discovered last week, we were made by him and for him. And that answers all three for us. Our source, our significance, and our security is found in him. And so the question I would ask you is, is your life anchored to Jesus? 
like I said, you get the choice. It could be someone, it could be a hobby, it could be technology, it could be your phone. If you're watching me on your phone, I'm glad you have your phone, by the way. Understand there's a balance. It could be an addiction. It could be busyness. It could be a good thing like family. It could be a job. And yet when it takes first place over Jesus, then a good thing becomes a bad thing because we're anchoring down to that thing. And what Jesus is going to show us in Colossians over and over is that he is the ultimate anchor for our life. And I want to give you a little heads up. Uh, Several weeks ago, I did a study on Colossians chapter 2. And it was in the middle of Colossians chapter 2 of what makes Jesus an amazing anchor for our life. And if you missed that message, you can actually click the link that you see right now. And that will take you to that message so that you can understand what he did for us, what he has done for you, and it will radically change how you view him and view your life. You are completely free from your past. He has made everything brand new for you. He will hold nothing against you for the rest of your life. He calls you his own, and your guilt has been washed completely away. So if you struggle with your past at all, Or you have questions about why did he really have to die on the cross for my sin? I mean, couldn't he have like been bruised or wounded or something? Why did he have to die? I really want you to go back and watch that message. Plus, it would allow you to really study Colossians chapter 2. But if you've already seen that message, I'm going to jump right into Colossians chapter 2 because here's what verse 6 says. Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, continue to follow him. So just as you at one point in your life made Jesus the anchor of your life, here's the secret to Christianity. Continue living the same way. Now this is so good because it just makes the Jesus movement, following Jesus, just so simple. How did I give my life to him? Well, number one, I was excited that he invited me into a relationship with him. I was dependent on him. There was humility involved. I declared my need for him. I I, I admitted that I couldn't do this without him. And Paul just simply says, you remember that moment, what it was like for you? Like it was, it was, you were so humbled yet excited. You were so passionate. You couldn't find out more about him fast enough. You were just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He goes, here's the secret to living. Just keep living the same way. (laughs) Just like you gave your life to him every day. Jesus, I need you today too. Jesus, I'm excited about what you're going to teach me today. I'm excited to anchor my life to you again today. And you follow him the exact same way. And in doing so, some things take place in your life, which is the next verse in verse 7. Let your roots grow down into him. Now, what it really means in the Greek is, as you continue following him, this will by nature happen in your life. Your roots will grow down deep in him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So just as you gave your life to him, you will then grow deep in him. In other words, you will anchor deep in him and the things of Jesus, what he taught you. What's the result of that kind of life? Thankfulness. 
There is an overflow, and I'm going to use a church word for you, worship. <laughs> that, that your life becomes one of wanting to worship Him out of gratitude because of what He's done and what He is doing for you and through you. Now, after this verse, Paul actually gives a warning. He gives a warning that someone might try to lead you astray, though. So that Jesus isn't the anchor of your life. What happens at that point? Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. He says you need to be real careful because there are teachers who want to take you captive to convince you Jesus isn't enough. If you want to have him, that's fine, but he's not enough. Okay, when you first gave your life to him, okay, that, that was fine. But now that you've grown up, there's some things you need to know that you didn't know, and you need to add to these things. And what the Apostle Paul is saying, you need to be very, very careful because when you take Jesus away as the anchor, what he's going to tell us, what wants to take the place is a word called legalism. And legalism is simply this, that I can keep enough rules on the outside to make me okay on the inside, that I can obey or I cannot obey. I can do this. I cannot do that. In other words, I have a list and that list will become my anchor for being made right with God. It's called legalism. And Paul says, you need to be very, 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 very careful because here's the truth. When you have been a Christian for a while, or you've been going to church for a really, really long time, here's the danger. The danger is to look around at new people who are coming or those who don't know Jesus, and they're just kicking the tires of Christianity to see what is this Jesus all about. It's real easy if you've been in the fold for a while to look at them in their life to go, well, they're not doing this and they're not doing that. And they, they better start dressing this way. And they really need to, oh my gosh, they've got a tattoo. What are we going to do with a tattoo? They're not supposed to have a tattoo. That is really bad. And what that's called legalism is what that's called. And Paul says, be very, very careful that no one leads you astray because that teaching is hollow. It might look good on the outside, but it is completely empty on the inside. Let me, let me read it to you. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, here's what it says. So do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Here's what Paul just said. He said, you know, in the Old Testament, had all of these rules and, and regulations. Oh, and these, these worship days and these very special days that you were supposed to reserve just for you and God. All of those were meant to build your relationship toward God and eventually to Jesus who would come as a Savior. They all point to Jesus. But what a lot of people did, 
They just disregarded Jesus and they held on to the rules thinking, oh, see, we're better than everyone else. And this has made us really, really in good standing with God. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background to explain that. In the book of Exodus, God gave Moses a list of the Ten Commandments. There were only ten. Now, keep in mind, when you read it in Exodus chapter 20, God gave these rules to his people. They were already in a relationship with them. He had just rescued them from years and years of hard slavery. He goes in, rescues them, and now after 400 years of slavery, God tells them, very first one, hey, have no other gods but me. <laughs> Listen, if your God had just done that for you, it'd be like, Wait, like that's number one? What else you got? Because that's easy. Why wouldn't we do that? So do you see it? From the go, from the jump, the rules were establishing a greater relationship with God, not a relationship to gain with God. Do you see this? Big, big, big difference. And then God begins to give them rules to help them to know how to live. Remember, they've been slaves for 400 years. And so he explains to them, hey, here's a way to live life. Oh, and by the way, you don't ever want to do this because it just won't go well with you if you do this. I, I, I know you, you've never experienced freedom before. So in your freedom, just know here's how you want to live in your freedom. So a lot of the rules were actually very practical in helping them live life and understand life. Let, 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 me, let me explain. When you flip over from Exodus to Leviticus, there are more rules given. Some of them very practical. One, for instance, don't wear a coat made of two different fabrics. Now, someone may look at that and go, what kind of God is this? I mean, come on. So he says, okay, out with the polyester. Okay, God, I'm with you on that. Let's leave that back in the 70s or 80s. But come on, come on, come on. What kind of God would, would demand that you don't have two types of fabric? Remember, read scripture in context. These people had lived in slavery in Egypt, very arid, very dry. God has now rescued them, moving them to promised land with four seasons. Now, if you mix cotton with burlap, I mean, you just, you just wanted to make a coat. So you put cotton and burlap. Here's what God knows. Number one, everything. And God is explaining to them. All right, so here's the deal. You take that coat into a wet season, those two fabrics are going to dry at different times. And as they do, one will stretch, one will shrink, and you will actually lose the seam in your coat. So if you want to remain warm and to have a coat when cold weather comes, you don't want to mix fabrics. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's very practical. So many of the rules that God gave were very practical on helping them to live life to its fullest. Many of the rules were there to expose their hearts that there's no way they could ever be like God. So yeah, you have cultural rules, you have morality rules, you have so many rules that number one, it's how you live, but also it was showing them their heart of you need a savior. So as God started putting these rules on paper, the dominoes started in effect of pointing to a savior one day to save you from the rules you can't keep on the inside. 
And this was God's plan all along to point to a Savior. Now, here's what happened. Hang with me. At the end of the Old Testament, the last book is Malachi. Some might think Malachi, the Italian prophet, whatever. So after Malachi, there is a blank page in your Bible. That blank page represents 400 years of silence from God. No angels, no prophets, no preachers, no sermons, nothing. Now, it doesn't mean God wasn't at work. God's always at work. He was just at work behind the scenes. And that's a fascinating story in and of itself. But on paper and in Scripture, there's nothing. So in those 400 years, there was a group that came together, a group of men, and it was a religious sect, and this was their name, the Pharisees. music I want you to hear when you hear the word Pharisees. It's like, you know, they walked around in packs. They had these dark clothes. They had these long tassels. They, they, they wore their robe in a certain way and they were just making sure everybody followed the rule. And it was just like, the, these were just the bad dudes walking around together. And you go, why were they bad? Here's why they were bad. During those 400 years, they looked at God's rules that God had given, and they knew they couldn't keep them. So here's what they did. They made more rules, and then they made more rules, and then they made more rules so they wouldn't break the original rule. Now, God didn't make these rules. They made these rules. All of 600 rules that they made up. So when Jesus enters the scene, it looks like... He's breaking all of these rules. On the Sabbath day, you couldn't heal anyone. What do you think Jesus thought about that? That wasn't his rule. That wasn't God's rule. But the Pharisees, that was a major no-no. Now, how far did it go on this working on the Sabbath? Well, they actually had a rule that had a rule that had a rule that you couldn't eat an egg from a chicken that hatched it on the Sabbath because the chicken worked. I'm like, dude, pass the egg over here along with the bacon because you ain't eating that either. I mean, that's like, come on, right? And what he's saying is don't let anyone judge you on what you're going to eat, on what you're going to drink, and what you do on the Sabbath. Yes, honor the Lord. It's his day. Worship him. Hang out, though. Have fun. Enjoy your family. But they took it to the nth degree that this is what God wants. And Paul is writing going, don't you fall for it. That's legalism. And what legalism does is legalism frustrates you. See, the Pharisees believe this, that if we can force the rule and this becomes the anchor of someone's life, it leads to greater commitment. No, 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 no. When legalism becomes the anchor of someone's life, it leads to frustration and you become the rule police is what you become. So you're not happy. The other person's not happy. Try this in a marriage, by the way. It just doesn't work. You keep a list on one another. How much freedom is there? Zero. Because you're no, oh, oh, I got you. Oh, I got you. I was waiting on you to say that. There's no relationship at all. It's just rules and legalism. And what Paul says is you be careful because all of those things were good in its time, but it was pointing to a relationship. It wasn't pointing to more rules in your life. This is what Paul is saying to us. Here's how I wrote it down. Self-righteousness is a sin and is no righteousness at all.
self-righteousness. This is what the Pharisees did. We will come up with a righteousness on ourselves, for ourselves. God, we can't keep your rules. We know that. So we'll make up our own rules. And so we're going to anchor our life to how good we can be. And that heaven you live in and Jesus and dying and all, all, that, all that's good. But I know I can gain brownie points with you. And that's going to be my anchor when I die, that I've got some good things I've done. But self-righteousness is a sin. And it's actually no righteousness at all. And Paul says, that's why we need Jesus. As a matter of fact, this is what he talks about in verse 21. Here's what he says. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch that? <laughs> Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. Watch. Here's what, here's what Paul said. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. <laughs> Jesus said, yeah, it might look good on the outside and you might look clean on the outside, but it hasn't changed who you are on the inside. You've kept all the rules. You've been a great legalist and you have your anchor in what you have done and what you haven't done. And Jesus says, but the problem is it hasn't changed who you are on the inside. Only Jesus does that. As a matter of fact, I wrote it down this way. Jesus doesn't put burdens on you. He takes burdens off of you. <laughs> the Pharisees wanted to put burdens on people. Jesus came along and said, I want you to live in freedom, so I want to take burdens off of you. So legalism was an anchor that Paul said, be very, very careful that it pulls you away from Jesus. The other danger that Paul mentions is not just legalism, but it's mysticism. <laughs> mysticism. Now, I, I, I looked up mysticism because I'm not very smart. I'm from Alabama. But I want to read to you what the definition of mysticism is. Mysticism, the practice of religious ecstasies, religious experiences, during a state of consciousness, together with whatever ideologies, ethics, rites, myths, legends, and magic may be related to them. Dependence on the spiritual realm to accomplish what we want to happen. You go, what does that mean? I don't really know. However, I know Paul said stay away from it. <laughs> In short, what it means is that instead of just Jesus... You want to tap into the spiritual realm, realm apart from Jesus. And Paul goes, don't go there. Don't. There's so much danger in trying to tap into the spiritual world and trying to control the spiritual world. And that becomes your anchor for getting accomplished in your life what you think needs to be accomplished in your life. Here's how Paul said it in verse 18. Here's what he said. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels. There it is. Saying, 
They've had visions about these things. <laughs> Here's what Paul says. Their sinful minds have made them so proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For Jesus holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. What Paul is saying is, don't think you can find life going around Jesus into the spiritual world. It says, they are not connected to Christ. So don't worship angels. You don't need to talk to angels. Your loved ones and friends that have passed on, they don't become angels. Angels are created beings. Your loved ones who knew Jesus are with Jesus. It's, it's, Paul is saying, be very careful of legalism and mysticism, thinking you can control the supernatural through some type of mystic philosophy. He goes, it's just not connected to Jesus at all. I, I, I don't know if you're watching the series, um, The Chosen. I highly recommend it. We love it as a family. We can't wait for the new episode to come out and we sit around with popcorn and watch it and then we talk about it and you can download it on your app. But a few weeks ago, one of the episodes came out and in this one scene, you see all three things come together. You see legalism is in the picture. You see mysticism in the picture and you see Jesus in the picture. And who do you think wins at the end of the day? I love it. Just to set it up, there was a paralyzed man who had been paralyzed for a long time, since early in his life. All he'd ever known for years was being paralyzed. But there was a belief of the day that there was this pool of water called the Pool of Bethesda, which actually means place of grace. However, the belief was that an angel would come every now and then and stir the waters and the first one into the water next to where the angel had stirred the waters would be healed of whatever they need healing from. Mysticism. Now also on this day when Jesus showed up, however, <laughs> he showed up on the Sabbath. Remember with the Sabbath? You don't do any work on the Sabbath at all whatsoever. God just wouldn't like that. But here this paralytic lies for year after year after year. And scripture is very clear. He couldn't get into the water even if he wanted to. And you have legalism there. But then grace and mercy walks in to the place of grace. He said, you don't need that. And you know it. So just look at me. Jesus was saying, I want to be the anchor in this moment for you. And in your life, if you would let me, do you want to be healed? <laughs> let me ask you something. Do you need to be healed of anything? And I'm not talking about physically. Maybe you do. Jesus still does miracles, by the way. But maybe for you, it's an emotional healing. Maybe for you, it's an addiction. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's relational. I don't know, but I know Jesus knows. And this is what I love about the bridge. There are so many life-changing stories that take place every week from people trading their sign of the anchor in their life for Jesus. And he is radically changing their life. And I want to give you that opportunity today. 
Would you pray with me? Just tell him, say, Jesus, I want you to be the anchor of my life. You know I have made many other things the anchor of my soul, but it's left me paralyzed in many ways. So I say yes to you today. I receive your gift of salvation today. Salvation of wholeness and healing, security and significance. I place all I am into all that you say you are. And I put my faith and trust in you and you alone. Thank you for rescuing me today. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for stepping into my life today and seeing me and offering me a new life. And today, I get up to follow you and follow you alone. In your name I pray. Amen.